So let's go ahead and begin here. Again, my name's Joe. Uh, Mr. John Christopher's here on the controls. And let's go ahead and begin, first of all, at the beginning, the alpha of the interview and the alpha of your life. Where were you born and raised? And how did the city you were born in groom you to like jazz? I was born right here in Kansas City uh, in Shawnee Mission Medical Center. And uh, I grew up, um, you know, listening to a lot of variety of music. But, um, you know, my dad had a few big band CDs that I'd listened to when I was younger. And um, I actually got interested in jazz through swing dancing here in Kansas City. And um, eventually hearing the Dave Stevens Swing Orchestra with several Kansas City veterans playing So where did you catch Dave Stevens at? I was at a dance club in Overland Park uh, called Louie and Company. Okay. And uh, at that time, I believe you had Rod Fleeman and uh, and uh, Jurgen Velga, uh, Jeff Harshbarger. Uh, at times, you had Lonnie McFadden and uh, Walter Bryant all playing in the band. So it was always uh, a very swinging time. Yeah, I used to catch him back in the late 90s in Midtown, and it was always... Sweat was pouring, the drinks were happy, everybody was dancing. It was good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, when did you first start playing music, and what instruments do you play other than the Hammond B3? I first started playing music uh, when I was in the third grade. Um, my parents you know, put me in piano lessons, and I hated it at first. And uh, you know, I, I came to them all frustrated and said, Mom, Dad, I want to quit. My dad says, now listen, you, you, you take these lessons for a year, and then if after a year you don't like it, then we'll let you quit. And, uh, you know, I continued to be frustrated, and one day I remember I was practicing and I couldn't get something going, and my dad came over, and he, he is not a musician, but came down, sat down, and played what I was supposed to be practicing for my lesson, and it got me so frustrated that it uh, encouraged me to practice more. <laughs> and then, you know, after a year rolled by, I, I liked it and I couldn't quit. And over the years, I played trumpet in the school band, and I played uh, guitar and bass in various rock bands. I played a little bit of drum set in a punk rock band briefly. Um, and I, obviously, I played piano. And then uh, my true love, uh, the Hammond B3. Why the Hammond B3? Um, because it kind of combines all of the... I think the strengths of my musicality, you know, I, I primarily played uh, bass, upright bass and electric bass through high school and college. And, um, you know, so it's got that, that groove foundation of being the bass player, but then it's also got the, uh, the freedom of being the soloist and the, and the accompanist like the piano player. And uh, it's also a, a self-contained orchestra. I mean, you can really get the power of a big band, or you can be uh, as subtle as a, just a piano trio, all in one instrument. Very nice. Talk to me about your family and how they influenced your musical interests. Um, I've got, first off, the, the most supportive parents who have uh, pushed me and supported me uh, emotionally and financially uh, at times. Um, they've They've supported me in all the things that I've done. I, you know, I moved to New York for a few years, and when I came to my dad with that idea, he was all for it. said, no, go ahead. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, even further back than that, um, my grandparents, both on my mom's side and my dad's side, my grandmothers 
both had a lot of musical influence. Um, I know my mo- my mom's mom uh, was on the radio back in the you know, 40s and 50s here in Kansas City with her twin sister. Um, and my other grandmother on my dad's side uh, played a lot of piano by ear and was an accompanist for choirs and things like that. And so they both uh, kind of claim my musical talent because neither of my parents uh, really did musical at all. So. Interesting. So it's in the genes. It's in the genes, yeah. <laughs> so where have you performed around the country and the world? Um, not a whole lot around the world. Uh, you know, I mentioned that I lived in New York for two years, and I played at several um, venues, especially in Harlem. Uh, my favorite place is being Showman's, which is a an organ lounge on 125th Street, just a couple blocks west of the Apollo Theater. Um, and uh, oddly enough, the American Legion Hall in, in Harlem is a uh, just a groove and swinging organ joint in the basement of a brownstone building. Hmm. Um, I had a regular gig up there at a place called Perks. It was at 123rd Street in Manhattan. Um, and, you know, I've played some festivals here and there. I played a blues festival last year in Winter Park, Colorado, um, with uh, the Mary Bridget Davies group, and I've played various other jazz festivals here, kind of in the region, you know, St. Joe, Topeka, um, but not a whole lot of extensive touring. So where is your favorite place to perform here in town? Um, You know, the Blue Room has to be my favorite place just because it does give you the artistic freedom to really do whatever you want to do. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a special place in the fact that that's kind of the, uh, the jazz musician's mecca in this city. Um, however, as of late, I've been working a lot at the new Kill Devil Club in the Power and Light, and I've been having a ball every time that I've been playing there. Cool. So speaking of local joints, talk to me about the KC jazz scene in 2012. How do you feel about it? What's going on? I feel like we have just an unprecedented number of uh, amazing young talents, um, each with uh, their very own unique voice and and. Uh, a lot of great writers, actually, right now. A lot of great composers in the city. Um, and not nearly enough venues to support uh, all of the creative uh, outlet that, that is needed. Um, I, uh, I strongly feel like, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to see collaborations between some of the older generation and some of the new generation um, because there are so many amazing... Uh, older musicians that have been doing this for so much longer. Um, and there's a lot to be learned. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of jump forward here a little bit and go to a tweet that Bill Brownlee quoted on his blog. You said, in reference to our mayor, Sly James, we need to start advertising KC Jazz on a national level. Seriously, we've got something special going on in the city. What response did you get and what prompted you to say that? Uh, I haven't gotten a response. I've had a few other people retweet me on that. Um, but that uh, that was on a night when I came home and just felt really good about things that were going on. And, um, you know, having lived in New York for a little while, uh, I can safely say that uh, the musicians that we have in this city are every bit as good as what they have there. The only difference is we don't get any, any exposure outside of this metro area for them. And so, you know, I think to myself, well, if people outside of Kansas City knew what was going on here, uh, 
perhaps we would be getting more of a tourist following, uh, maybe not so much as New York has, but uh, certainly if people knew outside of Kansas City what we had, uh, they may make it a destination to come see the music. Absolutely. Uh, let, let's let's segue into your new album here, Peregrine Nation. Very, very impressive album. I've I've had it stuck in my car for quite a while, and I love it. Talk to me about the process of making this, the musicians on it. Just tell me, what made you make this album? Thank you, first off. And, uh, you know, the, the, the guys on there are my working trio, Danny Embry and Kevin Frazee, um, and both of which are just some of the best. I mean, I've never felt more comfortable playing in a band in my life uh, than I play with those guys. Um, and, you know, this... Uh, We've done a, a demo CD a number of years back, and um, after having moved back from New York and worked a lot with that trio and started writing some new material and and kind of uh, identifying ourselves as a group, um, I just decided that it was time to have something, you know, that represented us better on record. And so uh, I saved my pennies and and went into West End Studios and in. in uh, in Kansas City, and we just kind of laid it down. Uh, we, a couple of original tunes of mine, an original tune of Danny's, um, and a, a couple of covers. We did a, a tune by an organist that I respect, and he kind of mentored me in New York, Selena Clark, with the opening, title, uh, opening track on the album Harlem Groove. Um, and, you know, we, we, uh, we did it straight to analog tape, and that was something that I really wanted to try because... First, it gives you a very, very uh, detailed sound with a little bit of a an edge to it that you can't get in digital recording. And then at the same time, I wanted to do it on analog tape because you can't go back and fix things. And I, I, I feel like jazz needs to be honest. Uh, and, you know, when you can't go back and fix things, that means you've got to get it right. And so we had several takes where we would get done playing a tune we're like, man, that was really good, except there's just that one little part. I guess we've got to go back and play the whole thing over again. Yeah, well said. Um, so, being in the Hammond B3 genre, I, I'm curious, what is your favorite idiom of jazz? Bebop, post-bop, what do you like the best? I would say kind of that post-bop, hard-bop, soul jazz kind of thing. Um, you know, I... I obviously listen to a lot of stuff with the Hammond B3, um, but I also, um, I'm in love with Hank Mobley's music. Um, I, I listen to a lot of Horace Silver. Um, and then even more modern, you know, I listen to, um, you know, like the Larry Golding's trio, and I listen to Dr. Lonnie Smith, um, Joshua Redman, you know, some more modern players. But I prefer things that have a, an element of groove and it's something that makes me feel rather than making me think. Absolutely. I got to tell you, of all the instruments, having to pick the songs each week for a jazz show, there's something magical about the Hammond B3, but also for me, it's also the vibraphone. Those two instruments, which don't get as much play as the others, have a special allure, and I think real jazz fans recognize that when they hear it. Absolutely, and I, I tell you what, uh, I think... Not just sound-wise, but seeing uh, somebody that really can perform on both of those instruments, the vibraphone and the organ, is something to behold. 
because watching a good vibraphone player is oftentimes as entertaining as listening. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, um, I can't believe that Milt Jackson had such a brief stay on this planet and produced so much. I mean, uh, that that album that he did with Coltrane is magical. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, let me kind of segue here, digging deeper into the jazz. Who are your jazz heroes? Um, well, Dr. Lonnie Smith has got to be at the top of my list. I had a chance to uh, briefly study with him. Um, and he's a guy that has, you know, been playing for so long and has so much wisdom to share and is so supportive of people trying to carry this music on. Um, and he just gave me just some real great advice that freed my playing up and freed me up as a person, I think. Um, you know, the first lesson I took with him, he, he told me, don't try and play the music. Let, let the music play itself. And that was a concept that it was like, whoa, you're right. <laughs> if I just stop thinking about things, things come naturally. And um, so he's been a, a real inspiration, and I, I, I have the luxury of, of having him a phone call away if I'm, you know, having some rough times and need some advice. Uh, and then the other, you know, I have to give some props to the man that, taught me how to play the organ is Mr. Everett Devan here in town, um, who I can safely say is one of the best living players of this instrument. Um, and he, you know, he taught me how to groove. And I don't think there's anybody that grooves quite like he does. Uh, and I'll tell you, back to Dr. Lonnie Smith, uh, this was something that really resounded with me also. As I was sitting in his living room, and he had two organs face-to-face, and he looked at me and goes, you know, here's the thing. If you can, and I, I should say that Dr. Lonnie Smith has the facility to play anything he wants to. But he looked at me square in the eyes and goes, you can play all this. But you can play all this. But if you reach out and whap, touch somebody, that's really what's going to make the difference. Nice. Very nice. That's wisdom. <laughs> yeah. that, that's for sure. Um Talk to me about your accomplishments up to this point in the world of jazz. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the, the most recent album, Peregrination, has to be at the top of my list right now. Um, we, we got a nice uh, radio following. I think we had uh, 18 or 19 stations across the country uh, that were playing the record when we per- first put it out in May. Um, and unfortunately, the jazz week charts... Uh, went down, so we don't have an accurate way of knowing where we charted, but when they came back up, it was at number 91 or 92, something like that. Um, and beyond that, you know, just having the opportunity to play is anywhere, really. If there's one person to play to or 300 per- people to play to, um, it, it really is a blessing every time I get to be behind the organ. Cool. So if you could go back in time in the jazz time machine and meet two musicians from any era, who would they be and why? Uh, Well, I'd have to say Jimmy Smith, only because uh, he passed right before I I picked this instrument up and really got hip to the organ. Um, And, you know, he's the, the innovator of the instrument, so I'd love to go back and have a conversation with him, pick his brain a little bit, and obviously, uh, historically he's a, he was a joker so i'd love to to uh 
to see what kind of shenanigans he had going on. Hmm. And then also, uh, you know, I would love to have met Count Basie only because I've heard uh, how warm of a spirit he was. And I, uh, you know, I love big band music and, and his band grooved the hardest. So Right on. And he's a Kansas City native. Yeah. Not native, but he spent a lot of time here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what was it like to give your autograph away for the first time? It was kind of weird, really. <laughs> um, you know, the the first time was kind of I, I felt very honored, and I you know I still feel very honored every time that somebody asks me to sign a CD or whatever. Because um, you know I I don't put any value on it myself. It's just kind of me signing my name. But uh, you know, if it means something to somebody else, then that's a a, a true honor to me. Um, and you know, I know how I felt when somebody else has signed something for me. So. Um, it, it is an honor, but it is kind of weird. <laughs> so does Chris Hazleton live with any regrets, or is there anything you would have done differently up to this point in your life? I don't think so. I'm, I'm, very, uh, I'm very happy how things have played out, and I will say that, um, you know, things play out for a reason, and I'll give you an example, is I went to school for musical theater, thinking I was going to be an actor. And I decided that wasn't for me, and I came back to Kansas City and was going to Kansas City, Kansas Community College and playing some piano and playing some string bass and, and whatnot. And I'd gotten into the group Medesky, Martin, and Wood and really was, was digging it, and I was telling Jim Mayer, my teacher, that I was, I was like, oh, man, I love the sound of the organ. It's such a such a cool thing, you know, and, and Jim was like, well, if you like the organ, you need to go check out this guy Everett Devan. And so I said, okay. And I I went to where they had been playing uh, every Friday and Saturday, Bobby's Hangout on Broadway, underage, mind you, <laughs> and uh, I went into the club with a couple of friends, and the first night, I mean, the band was so hot, swinging, and just looking like having fun, and uh, me seeing him playing the bass line and soloing and screaming, and I mean, my jaw was just on the floor. And I think to myself, had I not gone to that club that night, I may not be an organ player today. Very cool. Very cool. Um, it's like jazz. It's the randomness. Once you uh, live it, you just squeeze what you can out of it, and it uh, becomes you. Um, Absolutely. So... Let me ask you this right now. What album is in your car? What are you listening to? I've been listening to a lot by the saxophone player uh, from Vancouver, Corey Weeds. Um, and he, I just love his music because he's been putting out a whole bunch of albums, and they all just, they're, they're, they're fun to listen to. It's not, once again, it's not thinking music. It's just enjoying music. Uh, a lot of groove-based stuff. His most recent thing was a tribute to Hank Mobley um, with Mike LaDon on the organ. Um, so I've been listening to a lot of him. As a matter of fact, uh, we've been in talks. He's going to come out here and play with my trio here in March, I believe. Um, and cool. then the other uh, stuff that I listen to um, on any given day is Larry Golding's, uh, Sam Yahill, um, Horace Silver, Jimmy Smith, Jack McDuff. So when you get to a point where you've had too much jazz, or does that happen where you want to listen to something else, what would that be? 
Oh, yeah, it happens often. <laughs> um, I'm a huge Beatles fan. Uh, I think that Paul McCartney was one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Um, I listen to a lot of, you know, older R&B soul stuff, you know, Marvin Gaye, uh, Al Green. Um, you know, I like a lot of folk, uh, Simon and Garfunkel and and uh, America, things like that. Cool. Um, and, you know, if I'm really feeling funky, sometimes I'll listen to Snoop Dogg. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. I miss that website where you used to put in your script and it would come out with Snoop Talk. Did you ever see that? No. <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd say, I'm going to walk to the snore, and it would be like, yo, schnizzle, bedizzle, I'm going to hop along and get my nizzle. It, it, was, it was cool. <laughs> and they closed it down, but it was pretty nice. That that was that was something I always enjoyed about Snoop. He's he's one of the cooler cats out there. I, I, as I digress or <laughs> or uh, elevate here a little bit, I have one more question for you. If someone was to wake you up in the middle of the night with a pen and paper and demanded that you write down who you are in the length of one tweet, and for those out there, it's 144 characters, how would you define Chris Hazelton? Uh, I would say uh, a servant of God, uh, a Jayhawk fan for life, uh, a lover of jazz, um, you know, somebody that tries to do good, somebody that tries to bring joy to other people's lives. And that's honestly what my music is about, is trying to bring joy to somebody else. Thanks again, Chris, and uh, continued success. Hey, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Take care. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Neon Jazz.